0: hey what is up everybody welcome back to the podcast it's been a minute it has been a hot minute look we got an episode for you we have we are interviewing professor college professor dan ippolito he is a professor of biology at anderson university and he's going to talk to us today about evolution and how he is a christian and believes in it so here you go
1: I uh, went to school in Italy, in Libya, in Zambia. Uh, Then I attended boarding school for high school. And then I got a scholarship to Yale. So I came to the States to go to Yale where I got a degree in biology. Then I got my PhD in zoology at the University of Texas at Austin. Then I taught in the marine biology program at the University of New England for four years. And then I took a position at Anderson University because I was attracted by the concept of the integration of faith and scholarship. I got into biology because I was very interested in animals. I think what really got me going was reading Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Books, in which he gets all the facts wrong, but the writing about (laughs) animals, but the writing is so fascinating that it had me hooked. And... uh, At the time, when I went to Yale, it was during the rise of molecular biology, but I was still able to take comparative anatomy, evolutionary biology, a fascinating uh, seminar on dinosaurs. And then I went on and got my degree in zoology. Okay. Now, at Anderson University, of necessity, I've become a bit more of a generalist. Mm -hmm. For the past 25 summers, I have also taught at the Osabol Institute of Environmental Studies, which is a an environmental institute in northern Michigan committed to Christian earthkeeping, and it offers a number of hands-on field courses that many of the uh, Christian colleges cannot offer. So for example, I teach aquatic ecology there and we spend 50% of class time in the field. And that place has really helped me develop my understanding of Christian environmental stewardship and creation care. Uh, Very often I say that if Christians spent a little more time worrying about protecting what's left of creation instead of fighting about the details of how it came to be, we would all be better off.
0: I agree, 100%. We we have have
2: a co-host, Nate, that's not here with us today. He would fall in love with what you just said he's a very environmental uh environmentally conscious i wouldn't necessarily say christian anymore he's kind of on a journey of spiritualism looking into other religions but even as a christian far back into his past he was so passionate about um, yeah ecological stewardship
0: yeah i would say uh um, 80 of the meat he eats he catches traps and hunts himself he never really like goes to a store he's super uh into the environment and stuff like that and
1: well and i think you know just like with any other cause you have to pick your battles yeah i mean but i try to only purchase you know ethically raised beef and poultry we get our eggs from a student who has you know her own chickens um i eat wild caught salmon instead of farm salmon so Now, I have a son who's a vegan, but but, but I'm not quite willing to go to those extremes. But but anyway, going back to my story, Mm -hmm. um, early on, uh, well, it's been 18 years now, we hired a new professor, Dr. Kimberly Lyle, uh, who eventually became my wife and is now also department chair. And she came out of a very hardcore fundamentalist background in her first marriage. I mean, some of the stories she tells me I find hard to believe. Uh, And so she decided to re-examine a lot of her beliefs. And since she is a methodical person, she decided to get a Master's of Theological Studies. Her PhD is in molecular genetics but it took her 9 years but she did last year she got her masters of theological studies to clarify wow. a lot of things hmm. she felt she had been given a lot of misinformation a lot of skewed interpretations of the bible hmm. also i should mention i'm a roman catholic and she of course had been in a uh i i would say fanatically anti-catholic environment so she had been she had been fed some real whoppers i mean the first time she came to mass with me she was shocked the catholics sing christ has died christ is risen christ would come again because she had been taught that catholic don't catholics don't believe in the resurrection which i think is absurd really but anyway all of this to say that I would suggest certain readings and certain books for her. And then she said, why don't we make a course out of this? Obviously, you've been thinking about this for a long time. So we developed an upper-division seminar primarily for biology students called the Integration of Faith and Science. And we tackled four major topics, environmental stewardship, uh, origins and evolution, the nature of the soul, And uh, the nature of reality and the nature of science. Okay. Uh, In the interest of full disclosure, I have become bored with the evolution controversies because I've pretty much made my peace with all that. But I realize that for cultural and social reasons, that is probably the major sticking point for some of our students. I myself am more interested in Christian earth keeping and our understanding of the soul vis-a-vis dualism. But I know that for some students, Origins is still the the big bugaboo. So I would be happy to talk about
0: that. Yeah, because I think, like we were talking about before, I had mentioned to you that, you know, the more I look into science in general, Mm -hmm. is what I said, I tend to lean more agnostic. And you said, well, what specifically? I said, well, evolution. Um And some points you had made is that, well, evolution doesn't necessarily disprove God. Um And can you go into a little bit of like certainly. your view on evolution and how that matches with divinity and creation? C-
1: certainly. I think an important distinction to keep in mind, and Aristotle made this distinction 2400 years ago, is between secondary causes and primary causes. He actually talked about four levels of causation, but just to keep it simple, let's talk about two. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, my (laughs)
0: mind's going to explode if you go into all that. (laughs)
1: Uh, Basically, efficient or secondary causes are mechanical explanations, and they're open to scientific investigation. Uh, I think I gave the example of the tea kettle. Why is the water boiling on the stove? Well, Mm -hmm. because heat from the stove is increasing the kinetic energy of the water molecules and they're undergoing a phase change. But I could also legitimately answer the water is boiling because I want a cup of tea. Philosophers would call that the teleological or purpose-driven answer. Now, mechanical answers are open to scientific investigation. Questions of purpose are a little trickier. So to give an analogy, if you were to ask me why is there such a diversity of plants and animals, I would say that the efficient or secondary or mechanistic cause is primarily but not exclusively evolution by natural selection. There are also some other mechanisms, but we can go into those later. But I could also argue that it is the the creative purpose of of a god... And that's the the, primary, right? The primary cause, the final cause, if you wish, the creative purpose of a god who seems to enjoy this luxuriant diversity of life. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Uh, Parenthetically, uh, I would dispute the idea that the, the only purpose of the entire evolutionary process was to give rise to humans because again, God may enjoy uh, the diversity of life, just like we read in Job that he takes pleasure in behemoth and Leviathan and other extravagant yeah. creatures. Yeah. So I never thought of evolution as a threat to my faith. Now, back to your point, you know, when you look at nature, I think the response depends, frankly, on previous commitments. If you already have a faith commitment, then you look at the wonders of nature, you look at the vastness of the cosmos, you Mm -hmm. look especially at all the fundamental physical variables, you know, gravity, electromagnetism, the strong and weak atomic forces. If those were even a hair different, there would be no cosmos as we know it and no intelligent life. Yeah. So if you're inclined towards theism, you will say, well, certainly the universe was created or designed in such a way that it would produce life, and yeah. eventually intelligent life. And I
0: believe those are those are the anthropic principles. That right? is the strong. There's anthrop- like 122 of them, or something like that. Something like that. Like that yes. Yeah.
1: that's the strong. The formulation I just gave you is called the strong anthropic principle. Okay. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, some physicists say that if, and we don't know whether the, whether that's the case, if those variables are linked, in other words, if one or a few were a certain way and then the others couldn't be other than they are, then the improbability argument loses some of its strength. Okay. On the other hand, if you're a biologist and you look at the harshness of natural selection, predation, parasites, and so on, then you could legitimately ask, is this the design of a benevolent god? I mean, Darwin, for example, was very troubled by those wasps that lay their eggs in the bodies of caterpillars and then the eggs hatch and the larva eats the caterpillar from within.
0: Yeah, I guess for me, that's where, I guess it's less of a... With Me me and Ben were just talking about this beforehand. I guess Mm -hmm. for me, half of it is kind of like the scientific part of it, but philosophically, there are some things that don't make sense to me, specifically, like like you were just talking about. It's mainly that question of, you know, if God is this God of justice, why does there seem to be so much injustice, you know? Talking about the Wasper, talking about more humanitarian issues, you know, uh, you know, single mothers, taking care of kids, people dying of, you know, starvation, AIDS, and cancer, you know, stuff like that. that I, I guess philosophically, those are kind of the things that, that resonate with me as 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 much as the scientific things as well.
1: Well, let's let's tackle them one at a time. Yes, sure, Traditionally, sure. philosophers distinguish between human evil and natural evil. Okay. Human evil would be injustice, oppression, crime, and so on. There you run into the pesky issue of free will. Sure. That uh, God cho- chooses to give us free will. And the consequences of our choices have a ripple effect. On the other hand, you know, try to picture a world of happy robots programmed to do do good, to do right all the time. Yeah. Uh, Pretty soon, we would merely exist like vegetables. Words like, you know, courage and integrity, compassion would lose all of their meaning. What I find more challenging is natural evil. You know, epidemics, tsunamis, plagues, and so Mm -hmm. on. Now, there, a a lot of people at the science and faith interface fall back on the idea of kenosis. Kenosis is a Greek word that means self-emptying. Okay. And they would argue that in order for the creation to be its own entity and not just an appendage of God, god has to god decides to give the creation some space some freedom he empties himself a little bit of his omnipotence to give the creation some freedom and so the the freedom of the evolutionary process can create a great deal of beauty peacocks tropical fish butterflies It has given rise to sentient beings such as ourselves, but it can also produce something like the HIV virus or Yersinia pestis. Uh, On the other hand, how could a truly deterministic, micromanaged creation give rise to beings with free will? That seems a contradiction in terms. Mm -hmm. Only a process with some freedom... Can give rise to creatures with with free will so uh, that's how i have made an uneasy peace with natural evil
0: so would you say that that god is more of a hands-off creator like he he made us he um, created nature to do its thing gave us their free will to do our thing and subsequently, he's just watching things unfold?
1: Uh, no, or... I wouldn't go that far because then I would be a deist and I not know. a theist. Okay. Two points. One is that if we are going to be minimally Christian, we need to minimally believe in two miracles, the incarnation and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so that certainly doesn't sound like a distant, aloof... uh god of deism i mean god takes on human flesh suffers for our sins that's having a lot of skin in the game the other comment and this has become an academic interest of mine um, ever since the 1920s the discoveries of quantum physics have given us a very different take on reality reality is not deterministic reality is probabilistic Consequently, uh, everything that happens is not trapped into this inexorable chain of cause and effect. Uh, it, it, It seems that way to us because at the macro level, the probabilities are predictable. To give you an example, if I kept trying to walk through that wall for all of eternity, sooner or later, all the subatomic particles would align in such a way that I could walk through that wall. But First of all, I wouldn't live that long. But the probability is so infinitesimal that we all work on the assumption that human beings don't walk through walls. Okay. My point being that since the behavior of subatomic particles is not rigidly determined, it's only probabilistic, a clever and subtle god could work his will in ways that are not overtly visible and they don't break any physical laws. Because I will say that some of the people I have met at the science and religion interface, even if they claim to be Christians, are effective deists. Because they say that it would be incoherent for a god to set up the laws of physics with one hand and break them with the other hand. What they don't Hmm. seem to realize is that those laws are not deterministic they are probabilistic that's the
0: whole question of like uh can god
1: create an immovable rock questions like that no not so much that it's just that if you think about it the mutation process Mm -hmm. at bottom depends depends on quantum variation subatomic particles So God could influence the mutation process to steer evolution in a way that would not be perceptible to science. All that science can say is this mutation occurred. Or even... Some okay. of those electrochemical problem. events in our brains, you know, people say, Well, God prompted me to do such and such, or I believe the lingo is the Lord laid it on my heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but He could, working at the quantum level, plant a thought, which I believe we still have the option to resist. So traditionally, Christians say that Christians, theists, not just deists, would say that God is involved at three levels. God is creator, God is sustainer. Those are the big picture involvements. Mm -hmm. And then God is providentially involved in the daily outworkings of the creation. It's the third one that many people at the science and faith interface have trouble with. But quantum uncertainty at least opens uh, the possibility for... That God could be involved providentially so now the like question a scientific occurrence of a miracle some well, it wouldn't even be a miracle well, it depends on how you define a miracle sure. in other words, God can work without breaking any physical laws, just sure. actualizing this or that quantum state, both of which are probable, one may be more than the other. there is something. Here we get a little technical. Robert John Russell is a physicist and a theologian at Union Theological Seminary, and he has coined a term, his acronym is NIODA, Non-Interventionist Objective Divine Action. In other words, yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. (laughs) Uh, Basically, what he's trying to say is that God can be at work in ways that are not interventionist in the sense that he's not breaking any laws because... There is there is some give built in the laws. Now the resurrection is a miracle. We have to take it on faith, and, and a few others. Yeah. However, all of this raises the question: if there is this chink for God to work His will, why doesn't He do it more often? Why doesn't He prevent more accidents or more diseases That's and so on and so exactly forth? Exactly
0: what we were just talking about before you got here. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I don't know that there is a. Uh, a definitive answer. One answer that I find somewhat persuasive is that if God were constantly performing miracles, we would live in kind of a magical, unpredictable universe. If every mm-hmm. time you left your toddler playing on the balcony, the toddler fell off the balcony and God miraculously grabbed him, Uh, then actions really have no consequences. Every time you fire a gun, God snatches the bullet out of the air. Pretty soon, we can't predict the consequences of our actions. You can't really make moral judgments. Now, this takes us, however, to an uncomfortable place that I haven't quite resolved in my mind. In other words, if you follow that line of reasoning, then what we see around us is the Minimum amount of evil necessary for the universe to be logically coherent and predictable and for us to exercise moral choice. Because surely a powerful and benevolent God wouldn't allow more evil than is absolutely necessary.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But it does seem like there's an awful lot of it. Yeah, of the natural evil that that you talked about. However, I will say this. Even what we call natural evil, a lot of it is still the result of poor choices. I mean, the the latest tsunami that hit a resort, where was it, in the Philippines? Mm -hmm. It turns out that all the tsunami warning buoys were broken. Nobody had bothered to maintain them. Uh. Uh, You know, earthquakes, if people build shoddy buildings on earthquake faults and they're not to code, the buildings will collapse. Yeah. Uh, you know, if people fail to take elementary precautions, HIV will spread. So even what we call natural evil has a component of poor human choices. If somebody, okay. we somebody, can't
0: put all the blame on God, is exact, what you're saying. Exactly, that's, yeah.
1: that's what I'm saying. Uh, but I will admit, I mean, the problem of natural evil and innocent suffering is one that has vexed Christian yeah. since time immemorial. I mean, yeah. Augustine grappled with it. Uh, there's the famous Grand Inquisitor passage in the Brothers Karamazov. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote The Problem of Pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, Philip Yancey wrote a book called Disappointment with God. So I'm not going to uh, make light of that problem. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely something that requires
2: individual thought and process because there's no there's no amount of uh research i guess you could do to do away with the problem of natural evil but i like your explanation that uh if natural evil were reduced to such a level where consequence no longer exists there would be no way to uh map out what is success or failure or um yeah, success or failure of human life. It would just be, we're all protected all the time and nothing bad ever happens. About. Um,
0: okay, so uh, so getting back on this idea of there being a relative amount of evil or not necessarily an overbearing amount. I mean, even like in the Bible, there are certain passages like, I believe God says at one point, uh, is it Proverbs or um, Psalms? where he says, I will never give you more
1: you can bear.
0: Yeah, more than you can bear. Something like that. That verse kind of comes to mind. I
2: think, I, I I don't know, it says in somewhere in scripture, it says that I'll never tempt you beyond what you can withstand.
0: Yeah, something like that. But then, I don't know where it's at. Then I it,
2: find it interesting how he pushes Paul to the absolute breaking point, shipwrecked, bit by a snake, you know, persecuted, in prison, and eventually killed, and I don't know. It's hard to, hard to balance those two things. I, yeah. That God will never give well, you. Well, apparently Paul
0: could have Handle that. Well, Paul <laughs> yeah.
1: takes a licking and keeps on ticking. I mean, yeah. he gets <laughs> flogged, stoned, thrown out of the city, shipwrecked, you know. He must have been a very resilient fellow. Yeah, but, absolutely. But before the break, something came to my mind. Mm-hmm. I was reading uh, a passage. Actually, I have a devotional I use every day with C.S. Lewis. There was an excerpt from the Screwtape Letters. I'm sure you're familiar with that book. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a senior devil teaching a junior devil yep. how to tempt yeah. people. Yeah. You know, one point the senior devil says, you know, we have managed to make humans uh, kind of ridicule uh, or downplay all the virtues um, except courage. Just when people no longer care about courage, um, which I think is the other way around. He says we've made people proud of their vices. The only vice we haven't made them proud of is cowardice. Yeah. Because just when everything is going hunky-dory, God allows a plague or a war or something like that. And then it becomes painfully obvious that courage is a virtue and cowardice is a vice. Yeah, That is Lewis's literary way of mentioning what's called the soul-making theodicy. The idea that God allows evil in this world, this side of eternity... Because this world is an arena for soul making. That's a fancy theological way of saying you "no know, pain builds character." Every yeah. time I say that, my kids roll their eyes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that is a partial explanation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, look for example at some birth defects. You know, the one that comes to my mind is Tay Sachs, which is a particularly awful disease that's found in the genetics of eastern european jews you know tay sachs babies you know do not flourish they never learn to speak or walk they usually die before the age of five so certainly their character isn't being proved by suffering true and i wouldn't have the nerve to tell the parents that god sent you this to improve your character yeah so that's really heavy to even think about Yeah. so you know i acknowledge that that there are difficult questions Which is why, going back to to the beginning of our conversation, I think it's a mistake to want to prove or disprove God. I think that there is enough evidence to say that the Christian faith is rational, that it is neither an Mm -hmm. illogical superstition nor a psychological crutch.
0: It's reasonable.
1: It's reasonable. Yeah. However, Agreed. when you get to that point, then we have to look uh, at the inclination of the heart. When I was at the University of Texas, I had a friend who was actually a Baptist minister. Uh, he was the senior pastor of what would probably be considered a very progressive Baptist church. Okay. He also had a Yale degree. Actually, he had two. And he invited his Yale Divinity School professor, Paul Homer, to preach. Paul Homer is one of those, you know, high-powered theological intellects, mm-hmm. but the gist and the title of his sermon was, Faith is a Disposition of the Heart. In other words, once you've examined the logic, the arguments, the evidence, pro and con, and so forth, at some point, it's going to be your, your response, that what he called the disposition of the heart. Um, Not quite a Kierkegaardian leap of faith, but I think he was close to that notion. Of course, it's been 35 years since I heard that sermon and I'm quoting from memory. (laughs) You're uh, good, you're good. But, uh, you know, a few years ago, a student at AU Started an apologetics club mm-hmm. and he asked me to be the faculty sponsor. He was a big devotee of William Lane Craig. Does that's the name ring a bell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he's, not personally. He's a
1: big name in, in Christian apologetics and he has two or three PhDs. I mean, he, he's okay. a, re, a real intellect. And I remember, uh, of course, AU it's not big into apologetics. The Church of God tradition is more experiential. It's your private experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, it started off of an outpouring and stuff right, like that. Right, yeah,
1: right, yeah. right. So even the administration wasn't all that supportive. I mean, I remember one administrator saying, oh, apologetics, it sounds so judgmental, which kind of upset me <laughs> because, again, it's a matter of balance. If everything is experiential, there's a real danger. First of all, experience is subjective. Yeah, yeah. you can talk yourself into believing you've experienced this great prompting, whereas you just want confirmation of what you already wanted to do.
0: I mean, we've had we've had people on here, you know, who genuinely believe they've been abducted by aliens. We've had people who genuinely believe pagan traditions. You know, we, we've had some interesting conversations on this podcast based off. Subjective And they're relativism. extremely
2: that subjective. They're like apologetics, yeah. in my opinion, is the most shareable part of that's our the reasoning faith. side. Yeah. I, a spiritual experience isn't easily shared. I can describe my experience, but I cannot make it mean the same thing that it meant to me, to you, yeah. via conversation. Whereas apologetics, I've, I feel like if you throw aside apologetics, you're laying aside most aspects of a shareable faith. In my in my opinion, because I can I can have a factual conversation about apologetics with a small element of faith, whereas if I described you a spiritual experience, it would I, I'm requiring of you a huge leap of faith to come to me where I'm at in the gospel that I preach. Air quotes.
0: Hey, everybody. Alright, so this was episode one of three with Professor Dan Ippolito, biology professor, Anderson University in anderson indiana anyways he is a tremendous guy with a lot of knowledge really so it has just been an honor talking to him we have a couple more episodes that we are doing with him and be prepared because we're doing some cool stuff with him in the future as well getting into the christian responsibility and duty to maintain the earth properly and there's all kinds of other biological scientific stuff that he wants to go into um once again Go over to the Facebook, go to Twitter, go to Insta, hit us up, guys. Uh, email us, of prodigals at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you don't like. Let us know what's working. If you think our show is just complete garbage, please tell us. Might not do anything about it, but you can tell us. <laughs> Anyways, guys, I appreciate all the support of the show. I appreciate anyone who's listening, downloading. Once again, sorry we have not got anything up for about a week or so. I'm really trying to maintain that better. Anyways, I'm going to hop off here because I'm just rambling now. Love you guys, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.